So we're going to be talking about covenant this morning, and it's one of the best times to talk about a covenant because Abram, who eventually turns into Abraham because of a, <laughs> a covenant, I know, that the Lord does with him, we find that um, we see a series of promises from, from here till about, um, oh, I don't know, chapter 19, 20, somewhere in there, uh, when he goes and rescues Lot, you see him, God, fulfilling and reassuring these promises for quite some time now, um, his descendants and where he's going to live. Does Abram see some of these promises that have been promised him? Does he see descendants as many as the stars in the sky and the sand and the seashore? No, he does not. So he accepts it by faith that it's going to happen, and he goes on from there. So... As we go this morning, we are going to see the Lord's covenant promised Abram. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. Where we're going today is, and our main point is, righteousness by faith is a seed that produces life in Christ. How are you prepping your life soil to produce a strong faith. So that's the question we want to tackle this morning, and I will show you the why of why you would want to do that. Um, the what is, um, what are you going to do about it, or what happened because of it, a lot of those what's out there. But we are going to tackle the why this morning, and it's going to bring in a big aha moment, obviously at the last point in your bulletin, because that's what is written down there. So, But let's start with the first point, because that's a good place to start. Verse 1 says, Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and reward, and your reward will be great. Now, I'm going to talk about that in just a second because when he's saying his protection, he says, God will be your protection and God will be your reward. Okay? Your reward will be great because it will be God, okay, in his presence. Okay? Verse 2, but Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up in the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. A very powerful verse there, isn't it? Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him righteous because of his faith. Okay, We see a faith walk beginning right there. Um, or maybe affirmed right there as well. But this reminds me of one thing that we need to do, and it's our first point this morning, is we need to pray back God's promises. Now, we don't, Abram didn't have God's written promises down, but he had spoken promises that the Lord had spoke to him, and he is reminding him of one of those promises this morning. And one of the strongest ways to pray is to pray in the Bible, is to pray back God's word to him, 
remembering what he has done for us and how we can go back and reach out to him in the same way or very similar, right? So Abram, he only had the spoken word, as I mentioned at the time. Therefore, he reminded God that he was not privy to God's plan. Now, are we privy to God's plan? Yes, we have a little bit more understanding of what God's plan is because we have the written word is written down for us and we see the Jesus Christ factor into it and we see we have a written down account of what is going to happen the second time Christ returns in Revelation and, and many other um, prophecies in the Old Testament and New Testament as well. But... Abram doesn't have that. So he's going on God's word and what he's told him. And he says, Lord, where are my descendants? Where, where's my heir? Just, I just, one. I'll just take one. Where is he? Remember, you told me I would have at least one. And my wife and I are getting a little long in the tooth. Okay? So if it's going to happen, it would, wouldn't hurt to happen soon. Does it happen soon? No, it, it, it's a little ways away yet. Um, in, I think, the next chapter, 16, he was 86. And he doesn't have a kid until he's 100. So it's at least 14 years out, at least. And I, he's probably younger than that yet. God's putting him on a little bit of a, a waiting skill for this, this child, right? Fortunately, he gets to enjoy his child for another 20 years or so. But it's not always on our timing when God answers these things. Many times it's on his timing. And God does not forget his promises. And God does not forget Abram. He reassures him once again. And we know this because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. According to Hebrews 13.8, we see that it says Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. But Jesus is God. So I went with God there as well. And so we can rest in that. We can rest that God remembers his promises, that he remembers his protection, that he remembers that he's going to be that shield and that glory with each, each of his believers. And I'm excited about that. It's something that I've reminded the Lord about this week. And he has answered even some of my requests this week that have been long-standing requests. And he's like, you just got to have a little faith, Shane. And I'm like, I get it. Thanks. Um, but no, it's more like, I get it, thanks, this week. It's been uh, very exciting. So Abram believed and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now, where does our faith walk start? Does it start with us? No, it started with the Lord, right? Ever since sin came into the world, God had a plan to rescue us from that sin, to rescue us from the present evil age. And if he doesn't extend his grace to us, then we are doomed. Okay? Faith starts with God's grace. If we don't have God's grace, if we don't understand that, if we don't understand the immensity of that, we don't understand what it means uh, when we sin either. Right? Because if you think about sin, one little sin and we cannot be in the presence of a holy God. Does he do that for his sake? No, he does that for our sake. Because if we stand in his presence with sin in our lives, he will, we will just fizzle out. I don't know what happens. Um, I was thinking of it as uh, burning away like chaff. 
we will become like chaff and we will burn away. Okay, so the presence of a holy God can't have a sinner like me in there. But he sends his son and he promises his son right here in this passage. And we're going to get that again because he promises a descendant through Abram. He believed the Lord and the Lord counted it as righteous because of Abram's faith. So how are we doing? How are each one of you guys doing when it comes with the Lord's promises? Now, I took the four points of Kavanaugh, and I made them part of our application this morning. So how do we know God's promises? When it comes to looking at God's promises, it is important that we know them by studying his word. Okay, If you don't have a Bible at home that you can understand, you need to see me because I have about 12 of them ready to jump off my shelf, and I would love to give them to you. If you've never studied God's word before, I suggest you skip toward the end and study the life of Jesus. Because if, he's a, if there's a life in there that Jesus, that we can profess to follow him, the rest of the Bible will um, dovetail right along with the Gospels because it's the same message. The Old Testament saying, man is not good enough. The New Testament, the Gospels themselves said, man's not good enough, so I'm going to send my son to be the Savior, to be the Redeemer, to payment for sin, right? So we need to study his word to find that out and discover this for ourselves. Well, do you remember some of those promises? Have you read the Psalms this morning? I'm, I'm working through Jeremiah this morning. Um, yesterday, I haven't read it yet today. Um, and he, he laments, Lord, usually when I come to you, you answer me with a blessing. And I haven't been blessed in like three years. And that's just the beginning for him, that poor guy. He, he goes through a life of misery. Does that mean that the Lord has left him? Does that mean that he is no longer a follower of the Lord because he is not getting the blessings of the Lord? No. Can you imagine the faith that Jeremiah has to have to follow God in the midst of despair that he goes through? I can't imagine how big his faith is. But he remembers God's words and his promises and he prays them back to the Lord. He remembers how the Lord rescued them from the hand of the Egyptians. He remembers how he parted the seas, how he parted the, the river Jordan to get into the promised land, into the wilderness first and then into the promised land. How he defeated Jericho by the mighty trumpets and that's it. But We also got to remember when we try to go under our own power and the power of ourselves and we try to go defeat a little town like Ai and say, hey, we can do this all by ourselves. And God's hand pulls back and says, oh, go ahead. Because your parents and your grandparents tried that and it didn't work out so well for them. How did it work out for those? They started to lose. They ran back. They were scared because they didn't consult the Lord. So we need to consult the Lord. We need to know his word, and we need to pray. Two parts of Kavanaugh, okay? Then how do they live? How do we live as an act of worship? Cleaning toilets as an act of worship, you say, huh? Yeah. 
You, you clean that toilet like the Lord's going to sit on that throne. Uh-huh, see what I did there? Man, you guys are tough this morning. That was a good one, right? And, uh, but seriously, we want to clean it like uh, the Lord's going to use our bathroom, right? So we do it out of a presence of him, not out of snotty junior hires, or maybe it's our snotty junior hires that live with us, right? But we want to be, do that as an act of worship. How do we prepare meals for our family as an act of worship? Sometimes that's easy. Sometimes that's hard. How do we go to work as an act of worship? And that is a lifestyle that we come, right? And we can do that. So that's the third part of Kavanaugh. Live a life of worship. The last part is, um, how do we show this to other people? And they will know that we are Christians by what? By our love. By our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Also in the minor. And by God's love, right? Yeah, exactly. It's not just our love. It's God's love through us. We are conduit. That's a great, isn't it? Good job. Good point there, Amy. So, yes, we are a conduit of Christ's love. And so we show that out to them. So what is an area of your life that God is calling you to walk by faith? What stage are you at in your faith walk? Well, I'm becoming aware that I need Christ in my life. I'm becoming aware that I'm a sinner, and I need to take care of that. Okay, well, that's step one. That's great. I love when people come from unawareness to awareness, as Pastor Dave would always say. And so now we're thinking about what we can do next. I think implementation always starts with a brainstorm. There's no bad idea when you're brainstorming, right? You just got to be careful what you're going to implement. So we think about it, we talk about it, and then we start to implement change. Sometimes it helps if we write down some of those things, though we remember the change that we're going to implement. Okay? Last, a few weeks ago, we talked about um, cursing our bad habits, in a sense, and blessing our good ones. So if we're trying to com- quit drinking or smoking, we, even when we're in the midst of that, we don't necessarily take the joy out of, of that thing, that, that habit that we need to get rid of. Right? We work on giving that glory and that pleasure. It belongs to the Lord in that relationship. And when we give it to something else, it's distorted that relationship with the Lord. And that's like, hmm. That really opened my eyes personally when I started looking at sin like that. I'm giving something that does got, I should get the pleasure out of from the Lord, and I'm giving it to something that is wicked. Well, I don't want to do that, so um, I need to change. That's what I did. So, um, another one, then we implement the change. Maybe we see the results of the change is in your life. We need to thank God and praise God for that. And we need to thank God and praise God for what's about to happen, even when we're struggling in that sin. Amen? Is that easy to thank God for what's about to happen? Next time you're going to get it. 
Lord, you're going to conquer this thing, and you're going to do great things in my life. That's hard to do, because I'm in, I'm in the midst of the failure, but what you've done is you've taken that attitude of failure, and you've put that on yourself, and you give God the glory for the change. So I can't change by myself. I can't do it. But he is the one, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And that's generally me and Satan, right? So I'm like, I'm piling up with the wrong team there. So what's, here's an example of a quick temper. Uh, you have become aware that people are a little jumpy around you. Maybe it's your family members. Maybe you're a little touchy on things. And so you've realized that your temper has gotten a little out of control what can I do about that? Well, I've become aware of it, right? Step number one, if I'm going to defeat anything, sin in my life, I need to become aware of it. So that's what I do. Two, um, I'm not going to give an answer right away because that is my fight or flight instinct that's going to come. When I snap right away, that's fight or flight. Okay, so when somebody uh, comes up behind you and shoots you with a Nerf dart or a Nerf bullet and you're like, what? And you were not expecting that and your fight or flight sticks in and you're like, you want to snap, right? Maybe that's just me, but that's where I get. And when I get like that, my temper is getting out of control. Okay, so I need to walk away, count to 10, and what's even better than that is taking two deep breaths. Because if I just <gasps> and tense up and walk away, I'm going to be tense right when I come back into that conversation. But if I take a deep breath, it oxygenates my blood. It allows that tension to come out. And sometimes I need to take another one. And when I'm really upset, I need to take another one. How many you ever need? And count down from 10. Okay, come back into the situation. Was that something that I need to address? No, my boy was just having fun. It didn't really hurt that bad. It stung a little bit at the beginning. I could say, I'd appreciate if you warned me before you shot me next time. And come like that. Is that how I do that? No, I'm like, what'd you do? Get that thing and get it in the trash can. We're not playing with that thing ever again. Right? Or maybe that's just me. Um, but you think about that in, in other situations. Maybe with your job and your boss tells you you need to do something or you didn't do something good enough or you need to do something that you, is not on your schedule. Now it's going to add extra time. And you're like, what in the world? Our first initial reaction is we want to snap on them. That's not my responsibility. That's not my job description. You go to the union if you want to do that. I don't have time for that. How am I going to grow my business if I'm going to? That's all that goes through my mind right away, right? I can come up with a million excuses. I'm really good at those. Ask the Lord. He'll tell you. But here are four questions, and I put these in your bulletin, that help for clarity. These are four questions I learned from Abby Pfeiffer at Community Bible Study. So, what did you mean by that to somebody that maybe called you uh, something that you didn't appreciate? Or 
you kind of failed on that. Well, what did you mean by that? Because I thought I did pretty good. I want to seek clarity, right? Um, maybe it's a rumor that's gone around about you. That happens to pastors all the time, guys. Believe it or not, last year was a good year for rumors for this guy. Um, how do you know that is true? You seek conviction. Who did you hear that from? Did it come down the rumor weed line? Or did it? What are these facts? Did you see it yourself? Another one that goes along that line is, where did you get your information? Okay, maybe your boss is coming to you from his boss about how we're going to fix this situation. Where did you get your information? If it, has it come just from him? Is this the third order that you've gotten from this guy this week? Because he sees that you can take a little bit more. It's kind of like... Uh, Joe and the Button Factory. You guys ever heard that song before? It's a good one for time killer for, for uh, junior high kids. You go, hello, my name is Joe. I work at a button factory. One day my boss came up to me. He says, what are, you, are you busy? You say, no. Put the bus, push the button with your right hand. And pretty soon you're doing the left hand. Then right foot. And then left foot. So you're doing, now, you're, now with your nose. Now with your tongue. All right? And then, and so at the very end, you get to the end, he says, are you busy? I say, yes. And so maybe you need to clarify to your boss that this is how busy I am. Where would you like me to fit that into my schedule? And that gives him an opportunity to say, well, we're going to have to offer you overtime. Or um, I, I see how busy you are. I didn't realize that. I will go ask so-and-so. The problem with today's workforce, a lot of times so-and-so retired or, right? Um, so you need to be patient with your boss too because sometimes uh, they are in the same boatload as you are, okay? They, they've been asked to do five more things. They asked you to do one. So have compassion where it comes as well, but let them know maybe it can't be sustained. And then the last one is, and this one comes with, uh, conviction of faith comes with apologetics and defending your faith. That's what apologetics means. What happens if you're wrong? Seek the outcome. What happens if you're wrong if you give me this job and I can't handle it? What happens if you're wrong if um, it doesn't really need to be done? That's an extra measure that is just adding on to point B that I've already done. Okay? What happens if you're wrong? And now you're just burning me out because of something that doesn't necessarily need to happen. Or in Abram's case, Lord, what happens if you're wrong and I don't get that descendant and I don't get this land? What does he do? Well, we're going to get into that at the next point because he's about ready to reveal some things to Abram. Righteousness by faith is the seed that produces life in Christ. How are you prepping your life's soil to produce a strong faith. Let's continue on 7 through 16 of chapter 15 of Genesis. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. Okay, notice how God reminds Abram who he is. I have not forgot. Let's continue on. But Abram says, O sovereign Lord, 
How can I be sure that I will actually possess it? The Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all this to him and killed them. He cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land for the sins of the Amorites and do not yet warrant their destruction. Okay? It's not going to look good for the home team, uh, the current people that are living in the area. But God's going to remove his people from the area for a while. They're, the current people that are in there, they become corrupt to sin, just like the ones he destroyed in the flood. So God's going to bring his people in to redeem the land. So here we have the what? Prophecy. How can I be sure of this? Says Abram. How can I be sure of this? Abram is a man of faith, but he's also can be a realist sometimes, and he wants to say, okay, Lord, I haven't seen, we haven't moved any from where we were. God just accepted him because of his faith. Remember that. He was just credited it as that. So how can he ask for the facts? How can he ask for certainty? Isn't that the opposite of faith? I want to see to believe. It's kind of what Abram's saying. That is the opposite of faith, okay? It really is. But God gives him a map. He says, this is what's going to happen. This is how the pe- your people are going to go into this foreign land. They're going to become slaves for 400 years. Four generations after they're in slavery, they're going to walk out into the, the land that I have given you. How, are I, how am I going to confirm this promise with you? We're going to do it over a sacrifice. So what they would do in the day, they would have a pretty big uh, slab of rock, and they would cut this animal in half, and they would lay the halves out over that rock, and the blood would drain down into the center. They still do this in Bedouin weddings today as a sign that if from a higher party to the lower party, in a sense, that's what a covenant is, right? So the husband's family to the wives and the wives to the husbands, they would step in the blood, it would splatter all over as a sign that if the wife is unfaithful, we will not go after her in her unfaithfulness. We will go back after her father for her unfaithfulness. And if the son is unfaithful, we will not go after the son in his unfaithfulness. We will go after the son's father in his unfaithfulness. Can you see the family structure there? How important that is in the Old Testament times? How important it is for us today? So as they are working on this, 
We have a three-year-old heifer. We have a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and or a young pigeon. Okay? So we have some numbers that come up again. First, we have the number three, the number of new beginning of life. This was 318. We just talked about this two weeks ago as well. Out with the old, in with the new. God's reaffirming his um, his promises with Abram. And dare I say, he's refining the promise that he gave to Adam, to Noah. And now he is bringing it down to one family group in Abram. And things are getting very specific in the prophecy of the Messiah that is going to come. Right? He's getting very specific here. Not only is that, he gives very specific details of what's going to happen to the children of Israel when they go down to, is, down to Egypt, right? They go down to Israel. Come on now. When they go down to Egypt. And you look at that, and you look at the timeline, and it matches up. And you're like, wow. Um, that prophecy and one in Isaiah when he tells that Cyrus is going to come be the Redeemer are two like very, very specific prophecies in the Bible that he fulfills. And it's like, wow, wow moments for me when I'm reading my Bible through. So Abraham sees the prophecy. He sees that it's from a higher party to the lower party. And we know from in Scripture, other places, that Abram, all you got to do is be perfect. If you want this to be fulfilled, if you want the Redeemer to come through your line, then all you have to do is be perfect to be that Redeemer. And Abraham sits there and he's like, okay, this is nine o'clock in the morning. I don't know how you're going to do this, Lord. But remember, the Lord just commended him for his faith. Right? So he sits there and he waits and he waits and noon comes around. And pretty soon the vultures or the eagles or the birds of prey, it's how it's translated in the Bible. They put vultures here, which it probably was. They start getting a little closer and a little closer, and it's starting to stink a little bit now. So they're really coming close. And he chases them off. And he chases them off, and he gets rid of them. And he's like, I don't know how we're going to do this. And I ask myself, well, why doesn't Abram just burn up the sacrifice? But he understands he is not worthy. Who's worthy? Who's worthy of this? Only God, only God can be perfect. Man is sinful. We are broken. We cannot fulfill the covenant that he's asking for here. And Abraham waits because he is faithful and he knows God's going to show up. So you're like, well, is the Lord God putting, um, being put to the test? Is he putting, well, no, I don't think so. I think it's kind of the other way around. I think God's putting Abram to the test to see what he's going to do, how he's going to react. And therefore, he's putting him, God's putting himself to the test to see who's going to be the redeemer. Abram probably started the sacrifice at 9 o'clock in the morning. He protects it. He will not set fire to it because he understands something, something that comes out of the weeks to come is that Abram is a sinful man. He cannot enter into this covenant with a holy God or he would die instantly because he couldn't fulfill his part of the covenant. God knows that. 
But what does Abram have? He has faith. He has faith. God's commended him for it. Abram protects the sacrifice. He knows God's going to show up. He preserves the sacrifice. He chases away the unclean birds. And then this happens in verse 12. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a terrifying darkness came down over him. What does that terrifying darkness look like? I may have told this story before, but I was listening to um, Ray Vanderlyn. He tells a story about a missionary coming over from um, his, from Oh, Jerusalem, Israel, comes over to his house in Michigan, and he looked, must have looked up Wikipedia or whatever um, to see what what's, are they notorious for in, in, in Michigan. Well, in upper, the Upper Peninsula, they have bears up there. Well, they, he's, this missionary is worried about bears, right? Well, his son gets kicked out of his room so the missionary could, to, can stay in his room because that's what you do for your guest. And he went down, took all some of the things out of his son's room and put it down. They live in a tri-level house, puts it down into the storage closet, which would be like the utility room or the furnace and the, and the um, hot water heater, all right? So he says, if you need to use the restroom at night, you come up, you take a right, and it's the first door on your left, and that's where the restroom is. So he gets up in the middle of the night, and he turns left, and goes to the first right. Well, little bit known did he know that that's where the utility room is, where they put some of his son's stuff in. And what they didn't know is the, the week before, his son was at a carnival, and they got this gigantic bear as a um, carnival gift. And it's sitting in there, and he opens the door, and he sees this gigantic bear, and he says this phrase, a great and terrible darkness has come upon me. That's the fear that Abram has. He is fearing for his life. He doesn't, he sees this bear, right? This, this presence come into him, and he is terrified. Terrified. Why? Is it because Satan has come into his presence? No. It's because the Lord God Almighty has come into his presence and he understands if he is in the presence of the Lord, his sin will be burned off and he is not worthy to be in that presence. It's Isaiah chapter 6. If you want to see that presence, woe is me, a man of unclean lips. I'm in the presence of an almighty God who is holy, and I cannot be in his presence. I am doomed. And he touches his coal. That's, that's the moment we have in Abraham's life right now. Okay? The Lord God Almighty is there, and Abram is wise enough to understand this. I'm a dead man. I am not going to make it. It was nice knowing you, Sarai. Oh boy. Righteousness by faith is the seed that produces life in Christ. How are we preparing your life's soil to produce a strong faith? Let's finish off the chapter and we'll get finish off the story where we're at. After the sun went down, the darkness fell and Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a torch and a flaming torch passed between the halves of the carcasses. 
So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the borders of Egypt to the great Euphrates River and the land occupied by the Kenites, Kenzites, Kenites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gergesites, and Jebusites. And I'll stick in there the mosquito bites. Just kidding. Right? But we see 10 nations in there. We see 10 nations. We don't see 10 nations very often in the list of different nations. We see seven. We see three quite a bit. We see 10. But 10 is the number of completion. He's going to give it all to Abram. Okay? God keeps his word. This is the why. This is where we're getting to the why, okay? So that was the what. The prophecy was the what. This is the why. There's a, a, a saying I picked up last year, uh, working with Bill Allison and some of the other guys, that applies really well to this passage. If you know the why, then the what is easy. If you know why you're living by faith, it's living by faith is simple, right? I can do it if I know why I'm doing it. All right? If I know why I'm cleaning those toilets for the Lord, then it's easy to clean the toilets. Make sense? Okay? So, if you know the why, the what is easy. Here's an example in Scripture for that. The Great Commission. Therefore, go into all the world and make disciples. This is the what. We get hung up on the what a lot of times. Right? Well, I know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know why I'm supposed to do it. I'm having a hard time doing it because I don't really know or understand why. So we should ask, why? All right? It's okay to ask. It's okay. Why do we go? God loves us so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We love because he first loved us. First verse was John 3, 16. Second one was 1 John 4, 19. We ask why. God loved us so much that he sacrificed his son. Who's laid out right now? We have an earthly sacrifice. We have a ram, a goat, a heifer, and two birds stuck on top on of these things. Abram is supposed to walk through that, through the blood, and fulfill his part of the covenant that he has done with the Lord. He says, I can't do it. I am not perfect. I can't be perfect. So, pastor, how is a fire going over, burning up the sacrifice, the why of this story? Because God saw the sacrifice and he says, Abram, you're right. You can't do this. I will fulfill my half of the covenant and I will send my son to fulfill your half as your descendant. I will do both. Do you have to come to God halfway? No, no, no. You just got to come to God and he'll take the 99% the rest of the way. Amen? Important thing is you got to come to God. If you don't come to him, you're doomed to hell by your choice. I think I've laid it out pretty clear this morning. And if we don't do it, we're in trouble. It's definitely worth something 
investigation if you haven't done that. God has the big picture in mind. God's not just concerned about Abram and the sacrifice and the land that he's going to give and the descendants that is going to go. God is concerned about Adam and Noah and Abram and how he's going to take care of generations of sin with his son on the cross. He is This is a covenant that's going to be settled when Jesus says, it is finished. Not only has he finished Abram's covenant when he says that, but he's opened up a way for us Gentiles to accept the Holy Spirit into our lives so we can come directly to the Father. Isn't that something worth getting excited about? Can you see why I was excited about this week? It is the redemption story hidden in Genesis chapter 15. It's so exciting. He wants to have a relationship with Abram in a way that Abram never even dreamed about. And I'm excited about it. This is the why. Because God fulfills his half of the covenant and our half as well. So can't I walk just a little bit for him? Do you understand the sacrifice that he has made for you and I. Makes cleaning toilets a little easier. I'm going to go clean those toilets a little bit better this week, right? Because it's an act of worship. I can never do anything that he has done for me already. There's no way I can get that blood stained on my being and fulfill it. And he goes, I know. That's why I'm going to take the blood of Jesus Christ. And he is going to wash out all that sin. There's not going to be a reason to sacrifice anymore because my son, my beloved son, the one I love, I would never give him up for anything, but I'm going to give him up for you because God knows not only did he die for us, but he rose again to live for us too. Death, it doesn't have any power over my Savior. It doesn't have any power over the one I love. My Redeemer. He lives. Amen? That's the beautiful story of Easter. Right? Three days later. Man, what'd they do for three days? Dodge demons? That's what I always wondered. How, How dark it must have been for those three days. And if you think about those three days in a time scale, they're really about four... I don't know, 36 hours because it's the end of the first day, 24 hours, and the beginning of the third day. And it's about as close as you can get to um, 30 hours as you can get and still make it hit all three days. And that's because God doesn't want us to suffer. Okay, Suffering is, it, it does draw us to Jesus, but it's a tool of Satan. Suffering is a tool of Satan. Okay? God allows suffering so we will return back to the Savior. That's an important distinction there as well. This is why when Jesus is on the cross and he takes his last breath and he yells out with all that he has left, it is finished. He has fulfilled his covenant with Abram. He has opened the door for the Gentiles. He has taken sin, and he has defeated it by the power of his blood. 
and the anointing of a lamb because he was a perfect sacrifice. And he fulfilled the covenant with Adam and Noah and Abraham and many, many, many others in the Old Testament that he makes with. Defeats sin and death and he is risen again in life. You cannot take down my God. He's invincible. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And he is all love. He desires to have a relationship with you and I. That's where we're at this morning. By the grace of God, why would he do that? I don't know. I, can't, I, I don't know the mind of God. But I do know that he did. It's done. It's in the past. And now I have to accept that I'm not big enough to take on my sin. Like Abram, I'm not worthy to walk through that sacrifice. I need the cleansing of the fire to come into my life and to burn off the gross, right? Burn off the dross. Jesus was given as a payment for my sin. That's what it means to be a redeemer, okay? Redeemer is that somebody else or something pays for your debt. Today, I ask you, are you willing to walk in faith with Jesus Christ? Allow him to save you and not under your own power. Maybe there's something that you're struggling with you need to let go. Maybe it's a daily thing. I got to let go of that thing again and again and again until you can find freedom from that, right? It is finished. And when we surrender to God's authority, he cleans up the sin. He takes away the guilt. He allows us to grow from an ugly worm to a beautiful butterfly. It's a transformation. It's, it's a metamorphosis okay, that he's talking about. That's, that's Romans chapter 12. Therefore, be renewed by the transformation of your mind. Okay, That's a poor Shane House paraphrase. You'll have to look up the real one for yourself. But that's a metamorphosis. It's going from an ugly worm to a beautiful butterfly. God, Jesus Christ, can do that for each one of us. It goes like this. Admit that you're a sinner. And know that even you are a sinner. Jesus knew that too. And he still died for us. And then act of allegiance is that you're going to surrender your life to him and ask the Lord to forgive you, to come into your life and give you a new heart and fill your heart anew. He can do that. He's willing. It is your step. Are you going to do that? Righteousness by faith. Right there. Right? The first step is surrender. It's the seed that produces life in Christ. How are you prepping your life's soil to produce strong faith? Four ways we can do that. Read our Bible, pray, love extravagantly, and live a life of worship. Those were four application points we had today in our the sermon. Let's close with a disciple maker's prayer. Heavenly Father, Thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As I go through every part of this day, help me to love you and to love the people who cross my path, starting with my family. 
Don't let me miss the adventures you are sending my way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw my heart to you and to specific people you want me to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you, who loves people, and makes disciples, who makes more disciples, ad infinitum. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for the gift of salvation. Lord, I pray that we would surrender the things that are captivating our hearts to you, Lord. Lord, bring them into the light. Burn them off with your holiness. Just like you wipe the dross off the refining fire and bring out the pure gold. Lord, we ask that you would do that in our lives today. Guide and direct our hearts closer to you. As we walk this week, we pray that we would share the love of Jesus Christ to others as a conduit. And Lord, we pray that you would be a guiding light and a strength in our arms. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.